welcome to another edition of Mr. Nice Guy. I'm Ben Slowey, and I'm joined uh, today uh, by uh, two uh, uh, community organizers, uh, union organizers, activists. Um, uh, I'm excited to talk to them about uh, what they do and why they do it. Um, if uh, y'all would like to introduce yourselves, uh, whoever wants to go first. Uh, Juan Miguel, why don't you go first? Sure. Uh, nice to be here. My name is uh, Juan Miguel Martinez. I am a, a community organizer slash freelance journalist, um, but my full-time job is I'm a union organizer with uh, MASH, the Milwaukee Area Service and Hospitality Workers Union. Great. And then... Uh... Yeah, hi. Yeah, my name is Cesar. I'm an organizer here in Milwaukee um, with the Unemployed Council and... Uh, yeah, do a lot of community organizing and um, mutual aid stuff. Um, volunteer at a couple of food banks here in Milwaukee. And uh, yeah, just do a lot of uh, community organizing. For now, I'm unemployed because of my uh, immigration status. I'm unable to work. It would really like, yeah, jeopardize my, my um, situation if I worked without a, a social security. So I'm unemployed right now, but still organizing. Yeah. And sure. great to be here. Thank you for having us. Of course. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for being here, guys. Uh, <clears throat> how, how, are, how are you guys doing today? How's your day going? Cesar, I know you just woke up. <laughs> right now, I'm, I'm actually uh, just waking up. So I'm kind of processing what I'm going to do throughout the day. Like, uh, I know I have to, I'm uh, going to Ayuda Mutua to help out uh, the food bank. I say I volunteer every Friday. So looking forward to that but i'm also like uh i think i have some some things scheduled with some comrades to meet up <laughs> i have a little bit of like uh executive dysfunction or like add it's not uh something that's like i have diagnosed but i can and my my, my friends and family around me can tell that I, like i i need to like write things down or else i forget them so like um First thing right now I gotta look for is like my little planner and see what I what I've got written down for the day. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Those uh those planners we had when we were kids, like in school, like I didn't value them at the time, but they're very useful. Um for sure. <laughs> uh Juan Miguel, how you doing? What you what what have you done today so far? Uh today I woke up like at 7 a.m. I uh Pretty much uh, didn't do anything. I just uh, ate breakfast and uh, sat around until around uh, 9 a.m. And I uh, had a uh, uh, work meeting with MASH. And then I uh, wrote a piece um, for the uh, Alabama Solidarity Union Strike for tomorrow with uh, for Shepard Express. Uh, I don't know. It's kind of a, it's sort of a, when you're a journalist, you got to like sort of be uh, very... Uh, mindful of when you publish pieces you know it's like uh so that one we want more people to show up uh you know brian and then um the other people that have been organizing from the wisconsin bailout uh bailout wisconsin uh, movement and then um the unemployed council that says that works with um this is a solidarity strike uh, that they are working on so um i guess like my whole role in that is to try to get uh the uh, word out as much as possible so that's what i that's what i had done um this morning and then yeah just uh here now oh yeah uh we've we've the three of us have had some varied mornings it sounds like um yeah 
I did some writing for breaking and entering. Uh, then um, I went to go get a COVID test. Uh, comrade uh, Rocky actually picked me up. And uh, then we got, we went to interval and I ate some prosciutto toast. So uh, I'm off to a good start. Are you guys coffee drinkers? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, have a, I have a French press. I have a grinder. It's uh, yeah. People, people like uh, bring me coffee all the time. Like a uh, uh, comrade, uh, Kami brought me a bag of coffee from Puerto Rico. Um, it was from, a, it was from, a, it's really cool. It's from like a company. Um, it's called Cafe Ama, A-M-A. And it's a company that's run by single mothers. Um, and everything that they do benefits, uh, single mothers in Puerto Rico. So I was really happy to get that fair trade too. I mean, I don't know how you feel about fair trade. I'm very picky about how fair trade my coffee is, you know, like I don't want to support shitty exploitative. I'm sorry. Can we cuss on here or no? Yeah, you can. You can. Okay. I don't want to support shitty exploitative, like a uh, coffee worker, uh, coffee worker farms. So. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, which we're pretty familiar with in this city, um, for sure. I yeah, fair trade coffee's uh, uh got to be very mindful of that. Yeah, uh, Cesar, how about you? How much coffee do you drink? You need a cup right now. <laughs> yeah. I, I, actually, I was about to say that I'm, I'm missing my cup right now. I uh, I I literally just woke up from bed maybe like five minutes ago. Otherwise, I would have a, like a, a mug of coffee, like. A big mug of coffee. I love coffee. Um, comrade uh, Remy brought me some some coffee from Cafe Esperanza, which is a coffee co uh, family growing operation here in like Racine or down in Racine. Um, and it's really good coffee from, from from Guatemala, if I'm not correct. If I'm not wrong, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. Uh, it's yeah, it's uh, it's called Cafe Esperanza. Um, and it's it's uh yeah it's really good I uh, I love it I um I yeah I love trying any kind of coffee and feel like I am I'm probably addicted to caffeine and yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I do like coffee yeah. you do I like energy drinks too don't you yeah oh my god yeah I'm like yeah. addicted <laughs> to I'll I'll have like uh, uh I'll have like a um yeah two cups of coffee and then. I'll be all jittery and then 20, 20, 30 minutes later, I'll feel like the, the crash and then <laughs> I'll be drinking a Red Bull just to like, <laughs> it's bad for me. I probably need to like cut back on it, but I love coffee and uh, yeah, the man. darker the better. Yeah. This is the, uh, this is the mug I'm going with right now. Isn't that the best mug? <laughs> oh, it's a, yeah. It's a little, uh, a little dog. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, nice. yeah. Uh, uh, an old uh, girlfriend of mine got me that, um, and lately I've been going with uh, Pete's coffee. That's usually what I buy uh, at at the store. But yeah, I mean, it's there's there is a whole um, just there's a lot to explore with coffee, and I I can't do espresso anymore. You know, working in coffee shops definitely ruined espresso for me because now it just like fucks with my stomach. But I'm usually at like three cups a day, usually. Had two already today, so. You know what I was thinking about the other day? I was like, a person that drinks three cups of coffee a day, 
five days a week. Like in terms of being a cokehead, like how much would that be? Like, <laughs> like, like it's like kind of like a person that does like maybe like uh, an eight ball coke in a month is like probably equivalent to a person that drinks three coke, three cups of coffee in a day. Yeah, man. I who know? I might be uh, on some uppers with how much coffee. Yeah. I drink. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. Yeah, I, I, don't know. I just thought about that recently. It was just like something that popped into my head. Like, what would that be like? Well, I, I burned myself out without it, like because I just try to cram so much into the day, as I'm sure you guys are familiar with too. Like, you know, I just need something that's gonna keep my brain stimulated through all of it. But we could talk about coffee all day. But what we're here to talk about, boys. Uh, so what we talk about on Mr. Nice Guy, we talk love and fear, passion and creativity. And so um, I met you, comrades. Um, I believe the first time was uh, when y'all spoke at the, uh, the uh, Gloria La Riva rally, uh, which was this past October, I believe, um, when she was here uh, uh, campaigning for her presidential run um, in Milwaukee. And, um, and, you know, I, I've seen y'all at a couple, like, uh, um, marches and rallies since then, you know, um, uh, Cesar uh, has uh, joined the ranks of the Party for Socialism and Liberation, and um, is, we're currently on a coalition together to plan the uh, uh, Never Again Voces de la Frontera uh, action coming up uh, for the Seder next month, which I'm very excited for. But... Um, yeah, I guess to start where we usually start. So I'd love to hear a little bit about this kind of like where you, where each of you grew up and, uh, yeah, just, um, what your upbringing was like. So, uh, uh, Juan Miguel, we can start with you here if you care. Sure. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> like, uh, me and, uh, me and Cesar are a little bit different um, because uh, I consider myself uh Chicano, um, Chicano means that I was, a uh, born and raised in the United States with uh, Mexican parents. So I grew up with Mexican heritage and Mexican culture. But, and um, I, I grew up on the north side of Milwaukee, which is a predominantly, the predominantly black side of town. Um, I went to a elementary school where I was one of five kids that weren't black. Um, so I did, uh, being Mexican and being like Chicano, that's there, you know, that I never really, identified with the term Chicano until high school because I also didn't learn about Latino culture or like Mexican culture um, until I sought it out on my own. I learned uh, all about black history though um, when I was a child um, and throughout the years, but I had to seek out like la, I had to seek out history of the history of my culture on my own. Um, that kind of sucks, but you know, it, it is what it is. I'm glad I was able to do it myself. Uh, so yeah, that's that's basically the way I was raised. But I, uh, being uh, Mexican is just something I was. It wasn't something that I was necessarily proud of, or something that I I was imbued with like a sense of like, oh look how cool we are. Like you know, like we have such a rich history and all that. It, it's just something I was. Um, it's just just uh, how I was, and I didn't uh, get into it until way later in life. So that's kind of that's kind of like the way the way I grew up. Um, yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Sure. Thank you for sharing. Um, say sorry. Um, yeah, for me, it was uh it was a bit different. Um, yeah, growing up, I um, it there's a an actual um, 
op-ed that I wrote for uh, a Madison newspaper that I that I'll share with you if, if anyone's curious about like a more in-depth like look into my story. But uh, basically, I grew up in or I was born in Tapachula, Chiapas, in, in southern Mexico. Um, after like uh, yeah, grew up in a pretty poor place. Uh, we had a dirt floor in our house and. Uh, it was three, two or three days after my seventh birthday in 1997, uh, there was a big flood, or sorry, 98, um, because of a big tropical storm that was happening around that time. I forget the name of it. Um, but anyways, uh, this, this uh, storm devastated my town. It killed 22 people. And um, after um, a year of trying to rebuild, it forced my family to, to, to relocate because um we were done of uh, like starving uh, for that year. It was pretty much, um, yeah, it was like uh, we, would, we would barely eat beans and, and tortillas, you know, that was pretty much our whole meal. And um, most of the days it, it would, it was just me and my sister eating because my parents didn't have enough for themselves. Um, so after, after a year of that, uh, my, my grandma came to Milwaukee to, uh, to, to relocate with a, an uncle that had already been uh, living here for a couple of years. Um, my, my dad did the same a year after that. And then uh, a year after that, after him coming here, um, he sent for me, my sister and my mom. Uh, and and too, my, my mom too saw that it was like uh, having some uh, social emotional uh, effects on me. So um, decided to reunite the family. We walked through the desert. It was a very harrowing journey and um, there was a lot of uh, obstacles in the way and, and, and tough times. But uh, yeah, I um, made, we made it here to Milwaukee. We've been uh, yeah, living here in the south side of Milwaukee in the 53204 area for the last 20 years. Um, it's been a, been a wild ride. <laughs> mm. I don't know what else to really say uh, about like living in Milwaukee. It's, it's interesting. I, I, I really love but the diversity of it, but at the same time, I, I wish we were, um, that you could see the diversity in like a single block and that you didn't have to drive to the other side of town to see it, you know? Uh, but I mean, it, it, I think it's, that's improving to be honest. I feel like um, we're being, we're integrating more as communities and, and that's good to see. And we should definitely, yeah, strive for that more. Well, why do you think our people chose Milwaukee out of all places? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I said, that, like, for me, my family, like, it was uh, in the 60s, uh, Milwaukee was a boom town of, like, industry. It was, like, where all, this is where all the factories were, all, like, the work was, you know? Yeah, that's that's actually why probably um, my, um, my uncle moved here. Uh, he was, uh, during the 80s and 90s, uh, he was, he would, like, uh, this was around the rain administration. He would travel from back and forth from Mexico because he had enough money to. And um, he eventually got citizenship or residency through the Reagan administration. And once, you know, the borders pretty much, you know, closed up, which, yeah, um, they did. And um, he decided to just stay in, in Milwaukee because he, yeah, he saw that there was jobs and um, there was like some growth going on at the time. So there was really just, job opportunity that's the only reason we're here in Milwaukee is job opportunity and, and I'm sure that there was a sense of like yeah, there, there's like a, a like a small uh a Hispanic community already there growing um 
So that, that's that's actually yeah, mainly why why we're here the job opportunity and the the community. Um, but as for like uh, a way I see myself for like ethnic identity, I, I really have like a a nuanced view on it, I guess. Uh, for uh for from what I see, a lot of like uh, mainstream uh, Mexican media and, and sometimes like uh, maybe what some people are misled to believe is that you know Mexico is like one homogenous country and, and, and that's uh really problematic and and revisionist and just re reductionist of our, of our of our history uh mexico is like a, has a very wide and long history of uh yeah has a long and rich history of, of, of different uh native uh communities and indigenous communities throughout its history so like i i uh, um i'm a mexican national technically but i if i write when I'm writing something on a document, I always put Maya Iberian, which is a term I made up, but it's more, I feel it's more descriptive, descriptive than any other term that's, uh, that's being used out there. Um, Latino to me is like a term that's too reductive again. And it's more like a, a regional term and a term that's been created by the US government to try to like pigeonhole people. But that's, yeah, topic for another day. Um, but yeah, that's, that's how kind of how I see myself and and throughout the years here in Milwaukee, I've just kind of like growing up, but that's how I kind of like maybe pushed me to, 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 to looking for my identity because yeah, I was like one of the, one of the only students in, in, uh, in school, uh, that was like an immigrant and didn't speak Spanish. Uh, for the first couple of years, I actually went to a charter school because it was the only school around that spoke Spanish. So, uh, from like second grade to eighth grade, I went to La Causa. It was a pretty good education and, and had some really good opportunities. But uh, yeah, it was it was it's still like the same kind of face a little bit uh, face some bullying because I didn't speak the language at first. And uh, yeah, um, after a while, there's kind of yeah. I I mean, I've always grown up with the sense that I am an immigrant and I know that I like I'm undocumented. It's one of the reasons why in high school I actually like gave up on school because I knew that it, like I wouldn't. I didn't have an opportunity. There was no way for me to continue my education. Like, they're just, it's not feasible. Um, uh, but thanks to DACA and things like that, these programs that, that we keep pushing for, or, um, well, DACA is like stopgap measure, but, you know, DREAM Act and things like that, that uh, a lot of uh, immigrants' rights activists and, and, and organizers are pushing for are, are something that, that are, uh, is really going to help people in my situation all around the country that, um, just liberate us from all this fear and uncertainty and, and restraints that are really keeping us from from reaching our full potential. Sure. But uh, yeah, that's that's um, kind of in in a nutshell what I am who, or who I am and what I do. Yeah, for sure. Uh, thank you for sharing all that. Like, yeah. real. Well, real quick, uh, Juan Miguel, we were talking a little bit before uh, uh, we started recording here. So you you actually um, you said you moved uh, to Mexico uh, after high school, correct? Yeah, I, uh, I, like I was saying, I was, a, I had like this sense of wanting to learn more about my culture. Um, and basically I was raised amongst uh, a family, um, you know, uh, 13 aunts and uncles, my dad had 13 brothers and sisters, and then my mom as well. She, my mom had like five brothers and sisters, but after I finished high school, I wanted to learn more and I wanted to like see it firsthand. So I moved to Mexico and I lived there for about four years. I lived there in uh, Leon, Guanajuato for three years. And then I lived the full year in Mexico City. Uh, 
Yeah, there, like in Mexico City, I learned a lot about like history. I mean, I was able to see it all. You know, I, I went to like all the archaeological sites and everything, and I saw it firsthand. But then uh, I think uh, more than anything, I really like connected with the culture of the city, um, which was I kind of fell into a bad crowd, honestly. Uh, the thing is, I fell amongst like the group of like the thing is that like. Uh, this was like back in like 2004 2005 or something like the uh punk and metal crowd was still a very scuzzy kind of crowd um that people didn't like really mix with so i was kind of like involved in like that whole scene like the big city like kind of like sort of crust punk scene <laughs> so like uh that was a that, i mean it was just like it was just a real smack in the face because like the thing is i went there speaking uh what i call aunt and uncle spanish it was like the kind of spanish you speak with your aunts and uncles and i learned the language fully and not just the language of you know speaking or you know it was the language of the way everything moved and yeah and i got to see most of the country i traveled everywhere, you know, uh, either road tripping or hitchhiking, whatever it was, either way that I could like get around. So yeah. Man, crust punk. That's some shit to break your neck to. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was pretty, it was pretty dirty, you know, like uh, there was a, uh, there was a lot of adventures that we had. I mean, some of them I'm not proud of, some of them, I don't know, like, I think the wildest story is definitely that me and like, four of my friends uh, kind of jumped a cop. <laughs> just, oh. that was back, that was a, I don't know if that's appropriate to talk about, you know what I mean? But like, it's a, it was, it was, it was bad though. Like, uh, yeah, it was like, it was like four of us and yeah, just, we'll talk about that on another one, <laughs> I guess. But yeah. like, oh, the, the only funny thing is that the rest of the night, like my friend, like we were out partying and drinking and he, he had hit the cop's badge clipped to his shirt the whole night. <laughs> like <laughs> you're taking the badge. And so, okay, sorry. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. It's pretty dope. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so I guess, um, I'd love to hear just kind of how each of you started, um, kind of getting involved in, um, community organizing and uh building class consciousness that kind of stuff um uh Cesar if you want to start here uh I'd love to hear kind of what how you sort of uh began your uh radical journey well yeah I kind of began like most people from like a liberal point of view and perspective um I, I started as like yeah we need immigration reform we need this uh we need that you know yeah. At first, and uh, I got involved with Voces de la Frontera um, when I believe. Well, actually, my my mom has always been um, been one to like uh, push me to or, or push the family to to being um, like not only politically aware but like aware of like uh, what's going on with the uh, the immigration situation. Like I, I would always through through like um, yeah, growing up, I would always be really dismissive of it. I would just tell her like. Well, why are you paying attention to that? Like nothing's ever going to change. Politicians only care about us every four years and then they just fuck off before anything gets done. Um, and it's, it's, yeah, it's always been, it's been like that, honestly. And, um, or that's what it's felt like uh, for many years. Um, so she, she would always uh, push us uh, or, you know, um, at least let us know that there's you know these these events going on uh the marches you would always go to the mayday marches um 
I remember that I, that I was uh, there at the the biggest one. We uh, it was like 2006, I believe, just before Obama. Um, where uh, here in Milwaukee, we pretty much like filled up like the the, the entire bridge on on Sixth Street with mm-hmm. people. Um, and then we saw the uh, the historic uh, uh, family separation and, and deportations under Obama. So, yeah it's it's it was a disappointing journey um or yeah it's been a journey with a lot of very big disappointments um and letdowns uh, to be honest but i it um my mom never really gave up she would always like uh be paying attention to it and and around the time when like the daca program came up like uh she she was the one like paying really paying attention to it and she would tell me like hey like what is holding this forum like go over there get your documents like she she wasn't always the best at, to, at reading like all the details of it because i remember the first time she's like oh just get all your documents they're legalizing you over there i'm like what are you talking about <laughs> like that's not gonna happen like on the spot but uh yeah, it was like a Voices forum where they were talking about how um, how folks were gonna be uh, could could apply to become uh, or to get a a work permit. Which um, it might it, in her defense, it might have been somebody not writing the uh, the language right for that Voices event. Um, but yeah. Um, Anyways, uh, yeah, I, I became uh, um, more involved with WOSIS uh, after the DACA program. When I was able to apply for it, I, I went with them and, and um, I was able to uh, apply actually the second time. So the first time I went to Catholic Charities and I felt like I was charged a lot by, by their lawyers. So um, the second time I went to WOSIS at La Frontera, um, they did it for a more, uh, more discounted price. And um, yeah, it, uh, it worked out, got my uh, DACA, Actually, no, I, ha- I had problems with it. And then I, I, um, they referred me to Melissa Sorowski. And uh, Sorowski, the law offices have been really helpful. And Melissa herself, she's been fucking amazing person. She, uh, many of the times, like she, uh, I think twice already, uh, she's waived the complete like uh, application fee. So basically she just like does the filing for me for free. She just tells me like, you know, make sure all these documents are here on time and, and you know, like, fill this out as it should be and then we'll get you done because she's she's a very uh understanding uh person and and, and she gets like that uh <laughs> as an organizer i mean i'd always have like the time to or the the resources to 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 get all that done but uh she's she's always been very helpful in, in that way mm-hmm. um but yeah I, I that's how i got involved with losses and um i uh started volunteering um at the Voceros Por el Voto program. Then I started doing some paid uh, um, freelance work. I was an employee for a short time doing an online campaign. And um, yeah, I was just uh, frustrated and, and not um, satisfied with the way that uh, things were being, uh, or the issues were being pushed or, or um, portrayed or the, the narrative that was uh, being put out there for, for uh, immigration uh, reform, for lack of a better word. But yeah, I um, for me, like I was never really satisfied with the, uh, the just the small, you know, like, oh, let's push these small, tiny little increments. Like if we know something is, is systematically racist and it comes from like that history, like it historically was created to be uh, something to keep, you know, 
people of color away, then then why are we upholding? It's a white supremacist, you know, system, and, and we should deconstruct it, not slowly walk walk it back. Like, no, we need to undo it completely. And then and that's what like my frustration with um was as was um just a like an ideological one, I guess. Um, they do still do great advocacy work and, and um, help families in, in, in Wisconsin um, get, uh, or they point them to the resource that they, they may need. Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I, I just uh, kind of uh, went on my own, down my own path of like, like I, I really want open borders. I don't believe in borders. I don't believe in citizenship. I don't believe in this like, white supremacist state uh i always refer to the the u.s as an empire because i mean in, in all but name it is um it has holdings in the caribbeans there's people who don't have the you know self-determination under um uh, under u.s imperialism so it's uh yeah there's a lot of uh yeah yeah i'm rambling now but no for sure that's, yeah that's that's how i came to like my my own radical communist self now yeah <laughs> yeah totally totally um yeah no i appreciate that and totally 100 percent agree like a if you shoot small you're gonna you're gonna win small we have a lot to ask for and uh no compromises to be made for sure and also yeah like the idea of citizenship is the idea that like you have the right to live on one piece of land over another piece of land is just so absurd it's dirt we're fighting and killing people over dirt at the end of the day open borders is the only thing that makes sense <clears throat> um so we're like an invented currency too i mean like you know money is uh money and uh courage you know that's all invented you know it's fighting over things that were yeah for sure all, yeah it's all constructed by yeah, this oppressive class society here. Um, Juan Miguel, uh, we can turn it over to you. Uh, how did you get, uh, wh wh how was your beginning of uh, getting into involved in your community and whatnot? Um, I really hated the fuck out of George W. Bush. <laughs> that was like my very first uh, um, awakening, I guess. Like uh, he was elected in high school um, in, in 2000, wasn't he? 2000. Yeah, 2000, 2000, yeah, and um, uh, I wrote for my high school newspaper. Um, I wrote like film and music reviews and stuff, um, but then I wrote an op-ed about how George Bush was going to destroy the country. Um, I, like uh, his, his values and everything were something that were just like something that I saw for the first time how recently I had been getting in, like I had told you, I got into like my culture and everything and like and like how George W. Bush was buddy buddy with uh, Vicente Fox and like uh, all like uh, the the Mexican like and like I just really saw past it. I, I thought that it was just like a ruse uh, to take away our um, attention. And then from then uh, he created ICE uh, or the ICE. Well, he had ICE. ICE was created under his administration. Um, that was uh, something also that radicalized me, but I think what really pushed me over the edge is when he declared war on Iraq. Um, and I was already out of high school by the time he did that. I remember I was uh, leaving work. I was a uh, working at a meatpacking plant. I was saving up money to uh, to move to Mexico. I had just graduated high school and I was working that summer. 
and I went to um, I went to rallies. Uh, there were a, a lot at like uh, Locust Street, the Locust Street Festival. I remember became an anti-Bush rally. Um, so that really was what had uh, pushed me when I moved to Mexico, and I saw the disparate treatment of people as well there. Um, based on like where I lived. And then like when I would like uh, make, when I would like uh, take trips like all over the rest of the country and I would like see like communities and the way they were being treated by their government also pushed that. And I came back to the United States around 2007, uh, between 2007 and 2000 and um, like the whole Obama administration, like I was just like sort of uh, tired um, I paid close attention to it, but then I think is when I got really back into it was at the, like, uh, in Obama's like second term. Um, and I started writing, uh, uh, and I, I've always wanted to be a writer, like a professional writer. And that's like, well, what I always push myself to do. Um, so I pushed myself, I was writing a film and I was right. I finally got like a job, uh, writing for a paper here on the South side of Milwaukee, now I was writing film and uh, music reviews again, uh, but this time I decided I wanted to uh, start writing again about how uh, how people were being treated and um, you know like uh, the need for the need for equal workers' rights and things like that uh, more than anything. And I worked at a place um, called ASQ, um, and I organized a strike there during COVID because they didn't want to let us go home during COVID. They wanted us to keep working there. So I organized a strike the day before, which was a success and we all got to go home. And um, from there, people, I wrote a piece about that because I was writing everything that I was doing. And someone at MASH, uh, an old friend of mine, um, had read the piece and asked me if I was interested in becoming a union organizer based on the fact that I had or I successfully organized a strike. And I said, yeah, I do. I, I and I got into union organizing, and then since then, I've been. Uh, I was uh, very active at um, the protests uh, last summer. Basically, I was there trying to be trying to make a name for myself, and not make a name for myself, but I wanted to be a community correspondent. You know, I didn't want to be known as like a journalist or like a reporter. I wanted to be known as a community correspondent. Basically, right um, from the eyes of a South Side you know, Chicano, Latino. And uh, that's uh, basically what brought me to where I am now. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I also kind of similar to you, like, yeah, I'm a music journalist. Like I cover the Milwaukee music scene, but getting politically radicalized has made it really hard to like separate my passion for entertainment with passion for social justice. Like at this point, the conversations regularly intertwine and I started getting involved in militant journalism uh in the past year as well with liberation news yeah uh, you know you know it doesn't like you it's fun to like write like still like uh music and film reviews I live for it I love it you know because I love film and I love music but you can't be around this kind of stuff and not just get pulled in you know totally because everything we admire and relate to and appreciate like has a story behind it and was or was inspired by you know ideas that were some kind of social conflict or political conflict like there's some kind of consciousness behind that 
And that's why art, like whether it's music or paintings or movies or anything, like all of it is political, um, 100%. Um, so, uh, so, and you are actually, uh, you, I know you said that you just wrote a piece for the shepherd and uh, you, there's actually an action tomorrow if you want to talk a little bit about it. Uh, yeah, well, the, the way that I've been understanding so far um, is that it's in uh, solidarity with the uh, Georgia Amazon workers. Um, they have been protesting their uh, working conditions. And um, what we are doing is uh, we are showing they're trying to unionize. Um, and the thing is that like what, what goes on is that a lot of times when uh, workers try to unionize, union, bust, union busting attorneys are always hired by the companies. And a lot of people think that it's, uh, but the thing is that when a union effort comes to fruition, it's very important that everybody that works in any sort of union organizing support it. Because union organizing is really difficult in the sense that people always like get to like a certain point and then they wanna like pull back because they're afraid they're getting intimidated by the bosses, they're getting intimidated by the power structures that they have at work. Um, so basically what we're doing is, uh, uh, it's, uh, the unemployed council, uh, uh, says I can speak to that part. Uh, but basically it's, uh, the CESA, uh, the unemployed council and, um, the, uh, Wisconsin, uh, bail out the people of Wisconsin, bail out the Wisconsin fund movement. Um, and tomorrow there's going to be a picket and there's going to be, uh, speakers, um, from unions, uh, speaking on the importance of supporting unions and supporting the, uh, workers in Georgia. Um, this was uh, something that was brought to my attention just this past uh, week. Um, and I jumped on it right away, of course, and um, trying to get um, my union, the one I work for, and the other unions that we work uh, closely with to support it as well. Great, yeah, that's, that's, uh, yeah, it's wonderful that y'all are showing up for it. Um, fantastic. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, there's been a lot of talk about um, union busting in Milwaukee in the last year, um, specifically since COVID. Um, so, and you know, in addition to what uh, what's going on this weekend, uh, what are some other things uh, you've brought attention to or have been involved in union-wise in the community in the last year? Well, we've been trying to work with the Colectivo uh, workers. Um, you know, coffee shop organizing is a, uh, I'm uh, no longer on the coffee shop. Well, I never was really on the coffee shop organizing uh, side. I was just uh, kind of assisting. Uh, right now I'm doing property services. We're trying to get a uh, janitorial cleaning staff uh, union started in Milwaukee citywide. Uh, but yeah, Colectivo has, been, Colectivo has been a really big one in terms of union busting. Um, I don't know if you all have kept up what happened with on the bus. Did, um, did you read about I've read a little bit about I read a little bit about it. Yeah, On the Bus has been uh, one of the most successful um, unionization efforts that I've seen in Milwaukee in a very long time. Um, there are uh, a restaurant in um, uh, the public market, uh, but basically the owner or the manager said, oh, I made a mistake. Um, and he was keeping all of their tips uh, for the past three years. Um, so basically, uh, they organized to get their tips back. 
So not only did they get all their tips back, um, they also got a $300 bonus for coming back to work. Um, they uh, signed, um, they signed um, an agreement to uh, have like a specific time off and to uh, rotate their schedules. And it's just been, they basically got everything they wanted, the employees. They, because every single employee stood together, you know? I mean, that's what happens. It's a, that's what's going to happen when employees stand together, you know? Yeah. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, that's fucking dope. Cause that shit is, it's not very heard of. Um, no. Like though that level of like reparations for employees. So wonderful. Good work. Yeah. Uh, that wasn't like, it's very clear also, you know, it's like to <laughs> put out there that, um, well, first of all, I didn't have anything to do with on the bus. That's just something that that that's been uh, that's been that they've been working with my union. They've been working with the union that I work for. Oh, sure. So yeah, it's also important to like say like you know that's not us. You know, it's them. You know, a union is not Mash. A union is not IBW or SCIU or you know uh, whatever. Uh, union is the people uh, at the job. You know, it's the people that have come together to do something. For sure. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Um, I appreciate the, uh, the clarification there. Shout out to Collectivo Collective, uh, for sure. Um, yeah. Cesar, uh, so we we are all comrades in the PSO, um, and I'd love to hear how uh, you got, I guess, wind of uh, the party and just, yeah, what made you decide to join? I, I, I started... Uh... Getting more involved in the party after I uh, uh, departed from Voces, my um, yeah, I started going to the. Uh, this was like literally probably a week before, a couple of days before the George Floyd uh, protest started. So I was uh, out in the in the streets and so that summer, uh, trying to yeah, just I I mean I got caught up with like the same feeling that everyone else that something needed to be done and then um, I mean as an organizer I wanted to get out there and try to support folks um, however I could and and try to get um raise not only the consciousness of everyone out there myself included but uh, also to have like some sense of direction and and some some uh something uh that that we were all kind of yeah working towards uh. And kind of uh, putting uh, more into words what that sense of like liberation that we all wanted to feel was, um, yeah. So I I, uh, I started uh, going to the protest. Um, I got sick after a while, so I kind of pulled back a bit. And it, it it was I yeah I was sick for maybe uh, three two weeks. Uh, for, for the entirety of like the symptoms the, the most severe symptoms of the first five days uh but after that i it took me uh like two more weeks to recover um from covid i uh yeah it was uh yeah i felt really like weak and like i couldn't do much and then um just as i was starting to like get my strength back uh i hear about uh or actually i it was like the middle of the night I remember because I was sitting like right here in, in my in front of my desk where I am now. I uh yeah, it was like the middle of midnight and and all of a sudden I opened like my Facebook and I'm 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 seeing like uh like just a ton of feed about uh 
know, fuck the police. And then I'm like, yeah, what's going on? And I find the video. And that's when I see the video of Jacob Blake getting shot in the back seven times. And um, at that time, there were some live streams of uh, people in Kenosha. And I was, I was fucking pissed at the time. I was, I wanted to go out there that night, but I think I had a couple of drinks and I was just like, I, yeah, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, yeah, I was pissed. I just, uh, I, I think I, I wrote on, on, on Facebook, something real quick, <laughs> just like, a, I was like, uh, I posted a link to the, maybe I didn't post a link to the, the video. Cause, um, yeah, I, I don't like to post those videos. It's pretty graphic. Yeah. But I, uh, I, I basically said, you know, like after you know, went down in Kenosha, like I'll see you guys there tomorrow. And, uh, yeah, I, uh, I was actually supported, supposed to start a, a, a job that Monday, um, uh, distributing uh, PPEs in, in the community and stuff like that. But I, uh, yeah, I couldn't. I, I went in there that Monday. I was like super anxious. I felt like I was going to have a panic attack because like I wasn't in Kenosha organizing. Like I was, you know. I yeah so I literally walked out I told them like I'm sorry if I can start this job like in a week I'm I'm down for it but like I I just can't do it right now and I literally told them why I got in my car I went to Zao I picked some supplies and I headed down to Kenosha like that's or maybe I didn't stop by a Zao that time it was probably like the day after that but uh yeah I started uh yeah I went down to Kenosha and, and um um, tried to help organize there as well. Um, we all know how Kenosha went. So, uh, but it, it was a lot of like learning experiences like that, a lot of small learning experiences that like have led me to, uh, um, I feel like I'm uh, a more experienced organizer. And yeah, so I, um, yeah, I, uh, or more experienced than before, I should say. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I started looking for groups to, to, to really like hang on to because I, I saw a lot of like uh, factionalism and uh, yeah, just like factionalism going on. And I was really disheartened by it. So I, I saw that the PSL were, were uh, going or at least members were there constantly going out to these actions and, and, and also trying to raise the level of consciousness. And I've always uh, had uh, socialist leaning. So um, from my own personal history and the history of like Chiapas, it's very revolutionary part of the of, of the country. But uh, yeah, so I've I've always had like these influences um, to push for for something you know to be bold and 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 really dream for a better world and push for it. Um, so I I got involved into it uh in the Kenosha protest and um yeah uh was there with some comrades I think from the PSL when uh the, the Rittenhouse shooting happened and. But we've, we've been really able to, to do a lot with like the unemployed council. We, we got together and started helping uh, sign people up for unemployment and in holding these actions of solidarity with um, with the uh, any worker that's trying to unionize, whether they're in Besmere, Alabama or, or wherever, like we want to support all workers to, to unionize and to, to know that they have the power to uh, to um, to their future and, 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 and to uh, what the you know, what goes into their labor the, uh, that they produce. So uh, yeah, we, we really want to uh, raise that level of consciousness, not only within all workers, but also uh, all, all, everyone who's voting for uh, all these uh, elected officials that, you know, that say that we can't get these things done. Like, no, we can, uh, they just don't want to. So let's get them 
let's organize to get them out of the way and uh, put people who are going to actually work to build a better world. Yeah. Oh yeah, we 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 know a thing or two about that, don't we? Yeah. Been doing. Really been uh, having a couple chats with the Common Council for sure. Um, I met at a uh, protest outside of a Ron Johnson's office as well. Oh. <clears throat> Where I recruited him to be a brown beret. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's I think that was the uh, uh, the time we were. Uh, or yeah, Ron Johnson. This was like one of the like this was uh, over the summer I think I believe or like around the fall. Um, it was a mash event. Yeah, yeah, and Ron, yeah, it was a mash event, and Ron Johnson was uh didn't want to like vote for a, a stimulus uh, checks or whatever. So, or what was it? I don't know. I think he, the 600 he extra, he wanted to, he wanted, he wanted to remove the 600 extra from the uh, unemployment. Um, so yeah, we were doing mash my, the place I work for, we were uh, uh, organizing street theater outside of uh, Ron Johnson's office. Shout out to Las Raras at Walker's point center for the arts that built a giant paper mache Ron Johnson for us. Oh, nice. That's a nice touch. Yeah, um, yeah he can go to hell. Um, oh, yeah. Ron Johnson is the absolute worst. <laughs> For real. Yeah, I remember making some of that paper mache. That was fun. We, yeah, I yeah. love those, those art builds are so much fun. I, yeah. I, I, yeah. I can't wait till we all get vaccinated and have some more of those over the summer. Yeah. <laughs> Did you guys get the email, the, the 5 3 with all the zip codes on it? Yeah. I was just about to say that, like, uh, surprisingly, uh, uh, local officials, who, who knows why, but uh, they've really been waking up to, like, the, the racial disparities in the city and, like, the, especially with the, the, vaccine, uh, the vaccine rollout. So it's really, it's been really refreshing to see that, like, uh, a lot of, like, local, uh, yeah, local officials have done the right thing and really rolled this out in, like, an equitable way. Uh, my, my, my parents are actually going to be eligible to get a vaccine uh, the 22nd of this month. So I'm, I'm going to be getting them vaccinated then. I, I already have my vaccine. My grandma has already been vaccinated and they're targeting 53204, which is like was one of the highest and I think still is of like infection rates and death rates in the city of Milwaukee. So it, it's cool to see that they're um, they're actually listening to the constituency and, and targeting like the, the racial disparity. Yeah. Uh, yeah, totally. for sure. That is wonderful. Yeah. Um, good. Good. That is how you that's how you lead for sure. Um so uh you want to talk a little bit about the uh unemployed council? Yes, I um so we invite anyone to to join us. We're still codifying the uh the the role the roles of every member of the um of, of the unemployed council as well as like uh uh any kind of like you know um or the way that we're going to uh the function you know if we're going to have a chairperson um you know things like that so we really want to get that we're really getting that codified as we as, as we speak we have like uh because we uh it, for for right now it's a, it's only a couple of comrades uh that are that are part of the unemployed council but uh we we want to make sure that we everything that we do is in, is is uh, we have a consensus, you know, um, at least of a, a majority consensus of what we're going, of what we are and how we define ourselves and our roles. So um, once we've done that, we would definitely have folks uh, join us and become like an actual part of un the unemployed council. 
like a, like a member. But for now, folks can still like volunteer and still be, um, or at least like, yeah, you can let your, your friends know or you yourself can come down and see if you're eligible to, to sign up for unemployment and, and to see how much you can get. Um, that's a, a lot of the uh, things we, uh, or a lot of the, yeah, a lot of the ideas that we've been combating as the unemployed council is, uh, is yeah, the, these, uh, a lot of uh, employers telling their their employees that they're uneligible to sign up for unemployment for whatever reason. Maybe you don't want to pay the uh, unemployment unemployment insurance. The the employers have to pay for it. But uh, we want to make sure that everyone that's eligible is uh, able to get it. Um, don't listen to your employers. They'll always double check with us. Uh, and if you know if anyone's watching and you or your friends. Um, is working like 20 hours a week or less, you can sign up for unemployment. That's something not a lot of people know. And I always keep telling them like, yeah, if you work 20 hours a week or less, like you can still sign up for unemployment. And so like, if you, if you need that, you know, you, you need that assistance, which a lot of people like right now in the pandemic do, like you definitely like get it, uh, make sure that you are taking care of yourself and your family during this pandemic. So come down to the unemployed council this Sunday at Bounce Milwaukee and Noon to four, we'll, we'll help you sign up, Brian, uh, for that. Yeah. Great. Dope. Yeah, that's a wonderful, that's a really great uh, service to the community you're doing there. Um, shout out to Bounce as well. Um, they have really good pizza. Um, <laughs> um, I have two final questions for you guys before we close out, uh, one for each. Uh, Juan Miguel, um, so being as, you know, you're so... Uh, um, you know, you're, you're a community correspondent and uh, you um, really work to help encourage workplaces to, you know, fight to have unions and uh, be worker oriented. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about like the whole idea of like what union busting is and what these common like gaslighting uh, um, tactics are of like, shitty business owners like what they try to do to like prevent things from happening like prevent unions from taking place like yeah sure, yeah i mean like <clears throat> there's like a million different ways i mean like uh union busting and basically they they are like attorneys that specialize in union busting uh basically breaking up unions um there are offices that have uh buildings with framed pictures of union leaders that they have taken down. <laughs> you know what I mean? They they take a lot of pride in breaking up unions, you know? I mean, if if a if a business is not if a business a business cannot by law prevent you from trying to form a union, but basically they can hire attorneys to break it up to uh to say like you are not able to do this because of x reason or y reason, you know? Uh and they do that a lot. And um, I'm not 100% sure uh, what it was with Colectivo, but I know Colectivo and Anodyne both hired union busting attorneys. Uh, yeah, to expand on that, I mean, like, there's a lot of different ways. Uh, they they hire, like, people to, like, uh, discourage unions. Um, it's gotten a lot more, like, uh, uh, political, like, in the last few years, like in the last couple decades, but we had a union training with a woman named Lori Drake, who has been a union organizer since the early 60s. She was telling us in the early 60s, they would hire men to 
sexually harass women in the in the workplace and like yeah seriously it was it was you know the tactics and the methods have like changed they shifted now it's a lot more you know like organized and political the way they like break things up but before it was a lot of like breaking down the morale of the people that were trying to unionize by like getting in their heads sort of sort of biblical if you think about it in the sense in that sense you know what i mean um but yeah, that's uh, it's very important to like not let them scare you. They do use a lot of intimidation tactics, um, and then once they once they've successfully broken up your efforts, is how they is how they are able to move forward. So they can't on paper fire you for trying to unionize. No, but they can still like. They can still get rid of you if they try to get you for like other little things or something like that. Yeah, see, that was a that was a really big thing with uh, Strauss that happened last summer. Strauss is a uh, um, a meatpacking plant out in Franklin. <clears throat> Basically, they had um, about it was like twenty seven uh, undocumented workers, um, and they were asking for COVID precautions. They weren't even trying to unionize them. Um, they were just asking for COVID precautions for their. Uh, for their space and their time off and their uh, uh, hazard pay. Uh, what they did was uh, the leader or the head of human resources, I forget her name. I really want to say her name because she sucks ass for doing this. Uh, she basically cited an SSA no match on 27 workers. See, what that means is that when you work for, when you work for a company, they run your social security number and basically it comes back as a no match if you're undocumented, if you're using like a fake one. Um, and they say, okay, well, what you can do is you can either fire this worker or we, you can just come back to it later. Most, most employers will say like, we'll come back to it later. So those people, those 27 workers, the one that had been there the least amount of time was there for 12 years. And they said, oh, well, you all got an SSA no match, so you're all fired essentially for, yeah, for being undocumented. So that's the way they, that's the way a lot of, uh, a lot of people do it. They'll try to find something. They'll say like, they'll fire you for some tiny indiscretion that they don't remember that they suddenly remembered from like a few years ago. This has been happening a lot with, uh, that's actually what happened a lot with the Colectivo workers. Um, yeah. And there's like, a, I mean, I can't say it for sure. You know, like uh, this is just, speculation quote unquote what i'm saying right now but there's like a real transphobic streak as well uh because a lot of the people that were fired first were uh, were trans people so Jesus Christ. that is yeah. that's the scummiest fucking thing i've ever heard like whoever that lady is she can go to hell too yeah Jeez. Um, oh my yeah. god and they 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 just read they just hired like a bunch of different workers uh, they got like a <clears throat> settlements um uh they got like uh, they got like a somewhat decent settlement they thought it was fine though you know like the i didn't think it was decent i mean there's absolutely nothing you can do to you know like you can't buy off workers i mean you you like you really killed their dignity you killed their spirit you took away their jobs you took away their livelihood here's some money shut up you know what i mean i don't like it I said somewhat decent in the sense that the workers themselves were like, okay, this is fine. We'll just move on. You know what I mean? And as far as being like, you know, like undocumented workers, I mean, that's just like, they just kind of basically cut their losses. 
things, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like when you take away someone's dignity like that, like cut them off from their source of capital in this murderous machine. Yeah. yeah like um, they act like they're doing you a favor, you know, like, and, and I've, so like, and I've heard like where workplace owners will like try to gaslight workers into thinking that unions aren't good for them or some shit like that. Like they won't get any, like, yeah. like how, like, how does that make any sense? You know? Yeah, I just want to jump in also like say that Strauss and all these meatpacking plants have been like the highest uh, concentration of not only COVID deaths, but also COVID cases in, in workplaces all throughout the entire state of Wisconsin. So like, we got to put that in perspective as well. Like the yeah. fact that these these greedy uh, business owners and, and these uh, the, the owners and that those who run the man uh, manage the, the these plants don't really care about the workers enough whether they're documented or undocumented because we saw like uh, also workers who were citizens die in those plants and their families were not compensated or, or you know not given any kind of uh, or, or any acknowledgement that you know it was there because of their their greed and their their uh, uh, unethical business practices that people were made sick because rather than having uh, spent uh, the resources to, to make sure that people are taken care of during COVID and, and have the uh, necessary precautions to make sure people aren't getting sick. Um, yeah, they, they, they didn't want to start stop making a single penny. So they, they just uh, rather spend our lives uh, in it. And um, yeah, it's, uh, it's really disgusting too when, uh, when workplaces, uh, when workers are trying to organize that's definitely one thing that you see in, in, in workplaces with undocumented workers is that they just fire them. Um, you know, they, they, they pay undocumented workers a low wage, uh, treat them badly uh, because I, I've, uh, for the time that I've, owned, I've worked and in, in, in volunteered at Voces de la Frontera, I've, I've, I've get, uh, received and, and heard of a lot of uh, calls from workplaces like that where people are being mistreated, um, harassed, or... Um, just the attack for, 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 for being an immigrant. And, uh, and it's, uh, it's really disgusting because it's these, these business owners are not only they're not only are they exploiting the labor of these people who are undocumented, they're exploiting them and, you know, belittling them and, and, and um, not giving them any dignity. And, and, and it's, it's really undignified. And that's why I don't like working at these workplaces because uh, I, I really can't uh, stand people like that. And, and the, the the managers who uphold that and, and any other worker who honestly upholds that and doesn't speak up when they see that because that's um we should have worker solidarity you know like when a boss uh mistreating a worker it, it's it's it, it should yeah. be mistreatment for all workers it's you know uh the same reason that you know that somebody is getting like they'll use the excuse of like oh well we're paying these workers less and they're working harder so why should we pay you more? Like, no, they should be getting paid just as much as we should. Fifteen dollars an hour, all workers should. And and that's and that's the, the barely the minimum. Like, if we want to live a wage, it should be twenty three dollars an hour. It should be for all workers, whether you're undocumented or not. And that's one thing that's yeah, that's really being used by these greedy capitalists is that you know, like, well, they're undocumented, so they don't deserve their rights. Like, no, everybody deserves their rights. Everybody's a worker. We all deserve our like our rights. We all deserve equal pay in the workplace. Uh, yeah, 
And uh, it's kind of sad to see that in some of the unions and um, there's not that representation yet, but uh, hopefully that they, they'll see and, um, and get to realize that, um, and, and all workers hopefully get to realize that when uh, um, an undocumented worker is exploited and underpaid, uh, so are you. Um, so yeah, let's you know, organize around that as well. I saw a uh, tweet recently that was like, um, it was like any workplace that that uh, tries to say we're all a family are trying to make they're just manipulating you to making you okay with them exploiting you, pretty much. Which my last job, that's exactly what they did. Um, so yeah, it's yeah. fucking ugly. Yeah, yeah, I uh, I worked at this place in Veolia, North in Port Washington, and yeah, like one of the managers was always on our case about like, uh, or you know, like making sure we 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 got production out in time. It was always about like you know, like oh, we gotta we gotta you know produce more. We're not producing enough. We're not producing enough. Like we're getting paid. Like okay, we're like without ever you know ever talking about like is our pay matching what we produce? Like is, is you know. No, it's always like no, produce more, get paid the same. Like oh, that would as if that made sense. But uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, he he would always come on the floor. He had a cushy office job, you know, making a salary. He wasn't uh an, an hourly uh wage worker like us. Uh, we were like this this uh, we were disassembling uh e-cigarettes and like taking them apart, putting the white lithium batteries in in a, in a safer part because those have to be recycled a separate way from the rest of the plastic. So, uh, yeah, he would come on the floor and be like, hey, guys, like, let's get the work. Like, this is like, you know. Yeah. But then, yeah, once the heavy lifting would come around, he'd be like, oh, I have to go, you know, do something in the office. And it's, and it's yeah, it's kind of scummy. It's like, it, it feels disingenuous, honestly. Like, if you really want to treat your workers with dignity and with respect, pay your workers a livable wage and treat them with dignity and respect. Like, yeah. that's how you do it, you know? Yeah. What a corny motherfucker. Yeah, like none of this, like appeasement. Like, oh, I'm gonna talk down to you, so hopefully, like, you produce more without the same amount of pay. Like, right? Are you okay with me exploiting you if I use right. the baby? Like, right, literally. And see, like that's and see that's the like what you just described. You know, like that's kind of like that's sort of like the sort of same thing that's happening with the Amazon workers. You know, like that's why, like, it's a Amazon is like so fucking huge. Um, you know, and like. They and there's I have a friend that works at the Kenosha warehouse and he's like telling me he's like, oh, we're never going to unionize. We're a bunch of reprobates. You know what I mean? Like we don't we don't have the and I was like, you have the power to unionize. Right? Everybody hates working at Amazon. And it's like you can all have it better if you fucking unionize and like they just simply don't want to do it like uh, they don't have the energy. And like that's the kind of thing that like those jobs do to you. People don't realize that those jobs, it's not just the shitty pay, but like they suck your will to like do anything else. You know, they 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 break you down where you don't want to you, you don't want to unionize. You don't even want to think about work when you get off of work, you know, and they have this thing where it's like, a, what is it like? A, uh, they, they don't say like, uh, oh, you can't go to the bathroom. But what it is, is that basically you pack like a certain amount of things and you get like a bonus for 
um, packing more items into like a boxes and shit. So when you walk away from your line to go to the bathroom, you are affecting your bonus pretty much. Yeah. It's yes. dude. My dad worked for Amazon for a couple months back in Illinois. And yeah, that's exactly what he said. Like barely any bathroom breaks. Like he was a stower. So like he, you know, it was just all about just constant, a constant stream of productivity. Otherwise you get like, it just, it affects your overall like uh, evaluate evaluation for your performance and whatnot. So yeah, it's like going to the bathroom. Well, like you're, you're like de-incentivized to do that. Like, yeah, it's like, a, it's like, a, like the thing is that like, if only like these bosses and like these uh people knew, like, if they really knew like what workers could do to them, you know what I mean? It's, it's insane. You know, it's a Stockholm syndrome. I don't know. It's the way that like, it's, it's the way like everybody's been kind of conditioned to shut up and do your job. And it's kind of what this entire country is founded on, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, certainly. Um, so, uh, so I saw my last, my question for you. Uh, my last one is, uh, so I know you worked with several food banks um, if you want to talk a little bit about, uh, yeah, um, a little more information about the, the food banks you work with and uh, if folks are interested in getting involved or need resources. Uh, right now, it's just with uh, Ayuda Mutua. I, if I remember, I, I might be mistaken, but I know Local 212 and NMATC had a, a food pantry for, for students, but uh, I, I, uh, I might have volunteered there once. Um, but uh, I, 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 I am not really aware um, if that's still running. I, I feel like um, Local 212 and MATC have always been short on resources. So it's, um, yeah, they always need more resources. I wish they, they could get it. But uh, yeah, they've always, they've always been shorthanded uh, and short, uh, shortchanged, really, really shortchanged in, in, uh, in the city budgets. Um, but uh, the, uh, the one I'm, I'm really helping with is uh, Ayuda Mutua. Uh, I go there weekly. I'm actually, um, well, I, I have to go take my mom to work in a bit. But uh, after that, at three o'clock, I'm going to go to Ayuda Mutua and help out with some, uh, uh, preparing some food, uh, loading some, uh, some of the donations that are going to be coming in for the day. I'm preparing all of that for tomorrow because tomorrow is the distribution. Um, so yeah, Ayuda Mutua is actually the, the name of the, the food, the mutual aid food. Uh, food bank in uh, Bounce, Milwaukee, here in the south side of Milwaukee. Uh, it uh, is a food bank that I volunteer at, and it services about, uh, on average, maybe 300 to 350 families uh, per week um, when it comes to food aid. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been something really vital to, to helping the, uh, the community survive through the pandemic. Uh, and hopefully it's something that that's still uh, stays because it's uh um it's important to have food security in a community uh of, of folks like immigrants who who um if you know if they're unable to work because of they get sick or for whatever reason they they have no government aid and, and no other way you know if they don't have any family uh to, to help them survive then yeah. there's really nothing else for them and it, it's nice to see that it, we at least have like food aid it, it's not it's a start, you know, for, for uh, eight around uh, Milwaukee. So it's, it's, it's a really good, 
really good uh, food bank and uh, they they reach a lot of folks. Um, if if you guys are uh, actually if uh, if anyone's able who's, who's seeing this uh, has their third stimulus check or uh, you know anything left over from that. Uh, and they would like to donate it to a good cause. Ayuga Mutua would be a, a, an amazing place to donate it. Um, you can go to uh, Ayuda Mutua MKE. Uh, that's A-Y-U-D-E-M-U-T-U-A-M-K-E. Uh, look it up on Facebook and, and, and you can see more on the page there. Uh, find out where, where, where you can uh, make those donations. And, uh, and hopefully, if you'd like to, to volunteer as well, information is right there on the Facebook page and when you do that. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for uh, sharing. So on our way out, as we close out, um, I ask everyone the same two questions on the way out. Um, Juan Miguel, uh, let's start with you here. Uh, what keeps you up at night? I guess what keeps me up at night that really like pisses me off, I would have to say, uh, white supremacy being so um, ingrained in day-to-day uh, -day life that like brainwashes like a lot of like uh, Latino people um, because like um, a lot of the pushback that I've had from like a lot of the efforts that I uh, work with has come from uh, Latino capitalists. It's people that it's uh, people that are uh, just as broke as me um, but they think that they are because they dream of money, they're always talking about, oh, we're going to start a business, we're going to do this and that, that they're somehow in the same boat as like those white supremacist capitalists, instead of being in the same boat as like me and like uh, my other fellow Latinos, like Cesar and stuff like that. So I think that's what I, that's what pisses me off, white supremacy seeping into uh, the Latino mindset. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. For me, it would be a, a it's like a, a stream of conscious and unconscious uh, existential like crises and just um, the uncertainty of uh, um, of our society. Because like I feel like I was gonna say like politics and the political system, but our fucking broken political system is so. <laughs> it's so broken that like you can tell what's gonna happen it's an inside oligarchy of like the the rich and powerful capitalists most of which are white supremacists um but yeah it's uh yeah yeah just like the uncertainty of life uh really keeps me up at night um thinking about uh oh, finding a job getting a job my status that's that's really keeps me up at night yep yep <laughs> For sure. Um, on the other hand, the second question is, uh, what puts you to sleep? Uh, I, <laughs> I have trouble sleeping a lot. So uh, just like uh, the thing is, honestly, the truth is I have like methods of putting myself to sleep <laughs> because I and uh, one of the things I do that puts me to sleep is I'll imagine a situation and focus on little tiny innocuous details in that situation. And uh, that usually puts me to sleep. <laughs> that's a good, uh, that's a good strategy for sure. I do similar stuff. That and a couple beers for me. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, Cesar, what puts you to sleep? I, uh, I really like cereal. Um, 
<laughs> I have a couple of bowls before bed. What's your favorite them, cereal? Honey Nut Cheerios. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Really? Yeah. I didn't take you for a Honey Nut Cheerios guy. Oh, you know what? The, the other ones, too, the uh, Honey Bunches of Oats. I just like honey, and I don't really like... Well, I've been, I've been uh, um, kind of st- starting away from carbs a lot lately. So, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I really like cereal, but uh, I'll have a couple of bowls before bed. Well, that's, that is wholesome. Um, I'm a Fruity Pebbles guy myself, but I do love a good Honey Nut Cheerio every once in a while. Um, well, good shit. Uh, thank you. Thank you guys so much for joining me today. Thank you, Juan Miguel. Thank you, Cesar, for uh, talking about your organizing, about your upbringings, about just, you know, um, fighting the good fight. Um, for everyone watching, I'll be tagging resources uh, for Unemployed Council. Um, yeah, very the, the Shepherd Express article is now live if you want to include that as oh, yeah. well. So. Yeah, it's on my page. Yeah, I will tag. Yeah, I'll uh, feature the the uh, Juan Miguel's new article as well. Um, if you're interested in getting involved in the PSL or uh, the food banks, um, yeah, I'll be tagging a lot of links. So uh, thank you for watching, Mr. Nice Guy. As always, we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you.